And you people, you're all astronauts on some kind of Star Trek. We are explorers. We're going to stumble, make mistakes, I'm sure more than a few before we find our footing. But we're going to learn from those mistakes. That's what being human is all about. It is possible to commit no mistakes and still lose. That is not a weakness, that is life. We're Starfleet officers. Weird is part of the job. Base, the final frontier. Make it so. Do it. Hit it. Let's fly. I'm Aiden. I'm Lindsay. And this is The Big Spot. And we're here to discuss season two of Star Trek The Next Generation. Yes, indeed. The season where they grew the beard. Yes, uh, the beard, the famous beard, the TV beard, as it yeah. were. Yeah, uh, which I'm going to confess I did not know was a trope until recently. Fair enough. I, I, I was aware of the beard growing as a... As a youth on the internet i think it was even a thing back then really um yeah it's 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 a reference if you for those who don't know of Riker showed up with a beard at the start of season two Mm -hmm. after the writer strike and uh the quality of the show improved to such an extent that like it's the beard's fault if you grow a beard the show gets better yeah maybe not literally it's not like you know you literally jump the shark when unless you're happy days yeah but, or you're a show referencing Happy Days in a satirical yeah, but, manner or yeah, something okay, like sure. that. But like yeah, Family yeah. Guide did that, I think. Yeah, yeah. But, <laughs> um, yeah, no, I think that's that's a pretty spot-on uh, summation of season two. It does get a lot better. Yeah. Um, I won't credit it to the beard, but... It, um, doesn't, it didn't hurt. It didn't yeah, hurt. The, the, bird, the beard is kind of indicative of Riker, you know, maturing as a character. Yeah. And, and having a little more depth. And I think on, all so. the characters matured as characters yeah, in this season. Yeah, so. they, were, they were given a little more room to breathe. Um, Linz, before we get into our thoughts on the overall season, let's talk a bit about the production as history. As always. As always. Um, so there were a number of changes behind and in front of the camera mm-hmm. uh, for this season. Uh, most notably for a casual viewer, uh, Dr. Pulaski was brought in, Diana Mulder, yep. uh, as the actress, uh, replacing Dr. Crusher and Gates McFadden. Yep. Um, there was a, a backstory to this. Yeah. Uh, it was either Roddenberry or Maurice Hurley, or probably both, uh, did not appreciate. Uh, apparently, Gates McFadden was quite vocal about giving feedback on what she thought well, about I think her character in the I'd, show. And I'd heard it said that she, coming from a stage background, yeah. was more used to like collaborative behind-the-scenes yes. efforts yeah. and thought that her opinion would be more valued than it was. And so I could see how, I don't agree with it, but I could see how someone like Maurice Hurley, who, um, I don't think it was Roddenberry. I, I can't see Roddenberry having this much sway. I, I, he was kind of stepping back. Yeah, but I think he decided point. ultimately really? to fire her. That, I'd read that in one or two places. Either so, way, yeah. I think uh, she just rubbed people the wrong way because yeah. of her um, uh, outspokenness, I guess. Mm-hmm. And it... Um, she being one of the few female characters. I, I think female characters on this show just felt expendable to some degree. Well, yeah. So the fact that you could just, without referencing, there's no reason why Dr. Crusher is gone. She references it in season three when she comes back. Yeah, she, she was at Starfleet Medical. I think, and then they might have mentioned the first one where... I don't even think it does. I, I think I, they I, were talking to Wesley and they're like, well, we know your mom's off at Starfleet Medical or whatever but it was. It's like, but and, yeah. and then Pulaski mentions in one episode, oh, it was a bad time to join this crew. And that's it. Like, they just... Thought we wouldn't notice. I don't know. It's it's a weird change, but um, 
I mean, it was syndicated yeah. TV. So, yes. I mean, it, you know, you see an episode with all of a sudden it's a different doctor. You just, you know, you figure you it out. You make do, it. You roll with it. That's true. Um, and yeah, I think the writers also were having some trouble with Dr. Crusher because they they really wanted this Picard Crusher romantic mm. uh, entanglement and they didn't really know how to get to it as we saw in The Naked Now and all these other episodes yeah. where it's kind of hinted at. Um but it wasn't really, they didn't know whether they were going to go for it or not. Ultimately, the show decided not to go for it. And I think it's better. Yeah. But it hinted at it strongly throughout. Sure. And that, that kind of worked. Um, and But they weren't, they didn't, they hadn't figured out that, how to do that yet. Sure. Um, and and, I, and uh, so also, I think McFadden has said herself that um, there was a lack of, um, that that might have played a part in her wanting to leave as well. I yeah. think that, that like the the storylines didn't pan out, and she didn't have as many scenes with Wesley as I think she wanted to, mm-hmm. and that goes up when she comes back in season three. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, there's probably some disillusionment on the part of Gaze McFadden as well. So yeah. sorely missed though in this season, I think. Yeah, especially because the the replacement, uh, Doctor Pulaski, is just uh, mm. she so. Before we rag on her too much, yeah. we're we're firmly in the we don't like Doctor Plasky camp for the most yes. part. Um, Nothing wrong with Diana Meldar. No, no, she did a great job playing and she's the character. Coming back, she, so she played a doctor in the original series. Yes, she played another character as well. She was like the um, uh, I can't remember. It's, she had some kind of there was some kind of device on the ship. And yeah, she was able she to could, communicate yeah, with she it could, or something. Yeah, it was so ugly that nobody else could look at it, but yeah. she could communicate with. Yeah. yeah, it was something weird like that. Um, yeah, so she had she was appeared in the original series, um, and when they brought her back now, they they really wanted to model her character on uh, Bones. They yep. wanted they wanted the folksy uh, frontier doctor, and I think kind the dynamic feel. as well between the doctor and the captain that they maybe felt was missing. Yeah, um, I'm not gonna. It, it wasn't the most successful thing. I think Pulaski is a little bit too prickly. Yeah. Um, and not in a good way. And we'll talk about this a lot as it relates to data, because I think that's the like the central issue with that. Yeah, that yeah. people take uh, problems with. So yeah. so we'll we'll discuss that in a moment. But yeah. um yeah. There was also uh, another addition to the cast, Whoopi Goldberg. Yeah. As Guinan, um, the I have my notes, the enigmatic bartender who scares Q and has some sort of long and winding past <laughs> with Picard. Uh, so it, she just uh, kind of appears and yeah, you get the sense that uh, Picard and her know each other and mm-hmm. so forth. Um, and then she does show up in the, the Q episodes, importantly. Um, but more important from... Uh, a marketing and show perspective, you know, Whippy Goldberg is one of the bigger stars in Hollywood at this point. Yeah. She just won a Golden Globe for uh, Best Dramatic Actress for The Color Purple. Mm-hmm. Um, and in a few years later, in 1990, she would win the Academy Award f- as Sporting Actress for Ghost. Right. So she was a big time movie star and she yeah. was appearing on this television, this little sci-fi television And series. I think, so she and LeVar Burton were acquaintances or, mm-hmm. or somehow acquainted and she had asked him in the first season, let the producers know, I want to be on the show and he told them and they were like that's a joke like no big movie star is going to want to be on our little sci-fi tv show but she kept insisting and and i guess won them over she's told this story many times about how um the original she was a fan of the original series and specifically of ahura and as a black child and then Mm -hmm. later as a as a black actor um really that show had a, had a big impression on her, and so she wanted to be part of it for that reason. And so they brought her on, and um, yeah, she she became like the counselor that Troy never could be, I guess. And but it fits. It's like she's the bartender, and that sympathetic bartender trope that you pour out 
all your troubles your, too. Yeah, you pour out your troubles and they fill you back up with wisdom. And right. It's, it, it just works. Um, and I, I feel like it. people say that a lot about like, oh, she's the counselor that Troy never mm-hmm. was. But counselor's a mental health professional. Yes. Like you can't have these, con- these no. you know, uh, short good for screen quick conversations where the bartender gives you tough love because that's what you need yeah that's not a therapist no, job no, <laughs> you know it's it's, it's there to assist you and but i feel like troy could have filled that role in a non-counseling session like like sitting on the bridge she could be giving advice whereas guinan does that for picard but it, it does come across she almost has more of the folksy charm this yes. um like she got all the good parts of bones i yeah. think that they were trying to inject and and Plassey got all the negative parts and they yeah. just you know they, they, they didn't diverge. yeah they did they diverged and never really came back i together. will say also um she serves as a kind of a nice foil for quark later on in ds9 <laughs> yes. the other bartender yeah. yeah so which i mean they didn't know at the time but looking back on it i think that's kind of neat yeah um uh, some characters also got, I have in my notes, the big switcheroo. So they were just moved around uh, in terms of the the characters in the on the show. Um, first of all, uh, LaForge, Jordy LaForge, played by LeVar Burton. I cannot say his name for some reason today. Uh, was sent to engineering to become the head engineer. Um, and Lindsay, you have in the notes, why? Why Why does that make a lot of sense for LaForge? Um, and I, it just does. Like, I, it's hard to kind of pin down. Um, but just the way... Uh, Burton grew into the character in yeah. the second season as the engineer. He he kind of he kind of gives the energy of kind of like thriving under pressure, sure. and and uh, he handles the techno babble better than I think anybody. Maybe uh, Belana Torres, what's her name again? Rosaria Dawson. Yeah, yeah. She she does a great, she yeah. does a, a yeah, but, equal but, job. But, but LaForge is just on another, like it's the first time that you really have Trekno babble being spoken on yes, screen because the original yeah. series didn't really lean on that too much. It's like Scotty was an engineer in the sense that you know the guy you bring your car to is an engineer yeah. or a mechanic. He yeah. was that kind of guy. Well, and um, they, they they shied away from it. It's just be Kirk hammering the button. How long until the engines? And he says twenty minutes, sir. And that was it. You yeah, know, it was. But there was no explanation behind what was no. going on. So all of a sudden you've got like a real focus on what are dilithium crystals? What's a matter antimatter reaction? Yeah. How does all of this work together What's to subspace? propel yeah. a ship? And yeah. <laughs> So when when LeVar Burton goes down to engineering and starts embodying that role, it's so much better than him just being at the helm or like tinkering in engineering the few times that we see him there in the original in the first season. Do we see him there in the first season? He, he shows times, up once maybe. or twice. Yeah, yeah. But like there was no head engineer before that. Yeah. And so this is kind of a natural role for him and he does play it really well. So yeah. it does it does make a lot of sense, I suppose. And uh, to fill out that the the shifting bridge crew, uh, Worf obviously goes to permanently a security Which officer. Works so well yeah. because Worf doesn't have again a kind of a yeah he didn't have a role, role in the first season. Yeah. yeah, so defining that role for him, making it very Klingon esque. You know, he's the security, yeah, security guy. guy. Yeah, yeah. Um, but also recognizing Michael Dorn's screen presence mm-hmm. and his ability to yeah hold down any scene you give him. Um, with a joke. With a joke or, <laughs> or, yeah. or like to be the deadpan, the yeah. straight man for the for whatever scene it's in because he's kind of fish out of water still. Yeah. Yeah. He does that really well as, as well. So you've got two actors who were kind of sidelined. We mentioned earlier that they were kind of like um, Chekhov and Sulu, like kind of just yeah, they were there. shoved off to the side and yeah. not really that important, elevated to permanent roles and recognizable roles that they came to embody. 
yeah. really, really well. Throughout the rest of the season. And and also, uh, LaForge's move down to engineering also freed up uh, Wesley Crusher to become kind of the permanent, semi-permanent uh, helmsman. <laughs> Which makes no sense. Yeah, yeah. That's a one change. I'm not yeah. going to, you hey. know, I like Wesley Crusher, but, but it, you should but it, not be allowing him to pilot a ship. He does a fine job. He, they, how many times do they run into a planet? in the show never okay so he always he's remembered where job. he parked it that's true yeah he's so. he's pretty good so yeah just to just to round out those changes yeah. um behind the scenes though the the changes were a little less drastic but mm. um more meaningful i think uh so maurice hurley which we mentioned last episode was officially given the title of like head head writer showrunner uh for season he was two the guy he was the guy um and he really helped bring uh, a semblance of normalcy and and uh order to yeah, the writer's room because he was a tv guy yes he wasn't a sci-fi guy yes. which i think caused some problems with some of the scripts and and some of the issues that we're going to talk about but um he was a tv guy and yeah. so he got his start on shows like um like police procedurals like yeah. uh, it was my advice and the equalizer yeah we're hit, the two of his like mark frost our our buddy well yeah we, we we didn't we're going to have to add that, Lindsay. We're going to have to add it into our notes is all the Twin Peaks actors in season two. We didn't look that up before. No, we'll we didn't. To, we'll have to drop it in. We may just do it in the, the comments later uh, on the website. But uh, yeah, so he came in and he he uh, added in uh, this kind of, uh, he knew how to run a writer's room. Mm-hmm. He knew how to how to run things. Um, and Roddenberry at this point had really started to back away. There's kind of conflicting reports and it, a lot of the documentaries that are made are not too specific about timelines. So it's it's kind of hard to tell, but it seems like Roddenberry still had some say over what scripts were well, he got approved. two okay ideas i think yeah. but rick berman also was involved yeah. as like an executive producer or co-executive producer and his role grew bigger as maurice hurley's got smaller because they conflicted as well yeah so like i can imagine even though this is better than having 45 writers writing episodes <laughs> um and no one really heading things up when you've got three very different ideas about how the show is going to be yeah um, and they conflict and, and you don't know who is like, is this Ultimately episode going to be, yeah. you know, like it's, it's tough. So like, there's still a little bit of chaos behind the scenes. Absolutely. And, and, uh, Berman and, uh, Hurley in particular kind of, they, they kind of glommed onto, okay, we're going to protect Roddenberry's vision as he laid it out to us. But they had different ideas about what that vision yeah, was, exactly. didn't they? So it was just, there was just, again, yeah, wild inconsistently. Um, they, they, oh, Lindsay, you have too many cooks. It's also worth mentioning uh, the history of, of Runberry's vision that we didn't really get into in the last episode because there was just way too much backstory to go mm-hmm. into in, for season one. It was a one. long episode as it yeah, was. Exactly. So. Uh, but he did, uh, you know, if you watch the original Star Trek, it is just a wagon train to the stars, to space. It's, yeah. it's not, there's not really a whole lot of utopianism. I mean, in the opening, you know, the, the mission of the Enterprise is pretty yeah. clear and, and positive. I mean, there is. It's a very American version of utopia. And, and, yeah. it, and it... it, it fits the era but there is an an evolution of that into the 80s star trek and it comes about because of roddenberry's involvement with the fan circuit more than which is something that i didn't really grasp until recently that he was because he was shuffled to the side for basically the entire run of those movies in the 70s and into the 80s um his he, I, I'm sure he felt like he, he was losing control of that thing, but he still wanted to be a part of it. So hanging out with the fans, going to conventions, and being seen as this rock star. The, like, the creator of Star Trek. Yeah, yeah like right? This thing the that we all love. The great bird of the galaxy, is that what they call them? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, 
like that's 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 going to change somebody's opinion of of or change the way they look at things. I think, right? Yeah, and, and I mean, he he also did like he was doing a lecture circuit at, at universities. Oh, like he was he's not okay. just he's not just fans. He was really he was getting a lot of attention for mm-hmm. his his kind of ideas. Um, and I think that really like a lot of people have commented that it seemed to shape that idea of utopianism mm-hmm. and and the the version of Trek that we get in the next generation starting in the next generation. You know, no money, no you know, no conflict yeah. between people and everything like that. Well, and, and it shifting really- it ahead a hundred years too, I think, is how you get that and rewriting yeah. the Bible and everything like that. Like he, I, it's clear that he wanted to push. I don't want to say an agenda, but there's definitely a... Oh, yeah. He was pushing an agenda. Okay. <laughs> For sure. He was pushing an agenda. Yeah. And I mean, I think it's just, it's interesting to consider the idea that like, this wasn't, the trick that we get in Next Generation was yeah. not actually what he had in mind in 1966 yeah. at all. Yeah. It really did shift in it. Yeah. And I, th- I think it was like a self-reinforcing feedback loop of, oh, the fans really like that I, when I'm positive. And so I should, I should, my, yeah, my ideas are going to get more and more positive. It's like a positive feedback cycle, you know, to do, to do this. And it wound up creating the, the eighties track that we we do. Are the fans then responsible for the, if, if, if we're taking this as our thesis is that, does that explain why there's a lot of fan entitlement about the show and the ownership of the show from that generation of fans? Maybe. I mean, every generation of fans has some of that. Right. And I feel like, yeah, well, I think. It's it's tough to say, but I, I think there is a there are like those of us who grew up with '90s Trek, mm-hmm. um, you know, the idealism of it was just a huge part of what Trek was. Yeah, and so when you get something a little harder edged like Discovery or something like that, that that leans into more modern TV tropes and stuff like that mm-hmm. instead, yeah, you're like that's not my Trek, and it doesn't have to be sure um but just like it w- but it's still trek just like the original series was also trek even though it didn't have that uh utopianism that we got in the 80s and 90s, right. right right so right. i i think it goes both ways but yeah i think there's there's definitely some entitlement that, mm-hmm. that comes with that from the fans yeah. set a new course there's coffee in that nebula um, so as we've alluded to several times, writing for this series was, or for the season was interrupted by the Writers Guild of America strike, which yeah. ran from March to August, 1988. Yep. Um, so they, they really only started filming in late August, which is late. Yeah. If your show is going to be starting. It was supposed you know, to, yeah, usually it starts in October, September, October, but yeah, uh, this one so. didn't start airing until November, I believe. So mm-hmm. it was a couple months late as it was. Um, so but, the first, the first episode that they, yeah. that they did was The Child, which yes. is a terrible episode. Terrible. A rework of one of the phase two episodes that had been proposed back in the seventies. Yeah. Um, the one where Troy has a baby from the, the alien. Yeah. She's impregnated by the, the light that comes yeah. through. It's weird. <laughs> It's so silly. Light impregnation. And yeah, originally that was going to be, uh, what's her name from uh, the motion picture, the bald lady. Oh, That right. way it was going to be her who gets yeah. impregnated. And, and okay. yeah, so they literally just changed the couple characters and, yeah. and away you went. Um, and then, yeah, the, the strike also uh, caused the, it's a shorter season. It's only 23 episodes. Um, and the last episode uh, famously is the only clip show in Star Trek or in Star Trek history. Yeah. Um, also yeah. a terrible episode. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> I'm yeah. I'm starting to think unions are bad. 
<laughs> Lindsay, the strikers got what they wanted, okay? Yeah, they did. They they, did. They, writers and you can just pay. skip Shades of Grey. If you've watched the season, you don't need yeah, to watch it. Yeah, even as a completionist, you really don't have to watch it because they, they only filmed it in three days. That was part of the yeah. deal they struck with Paramount. Which uh, seems like a long time considering... Like 85% but I don't know. of that episode is just... I, cut, I got so. to be on a commercial set once and the commercial for a 30-second oh, uh, yeah. Fruity Pebbles commercial took like all day, it's a day. and they weren't even done. Yeah. So, okay, I maybe could see three days. It's, it's it's a big 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 machine for sure. Yeah. Um, Let's talk th- about the Borg. Yeah, let's talk about the Borg. The uh, the they were supposed to be as they were hinted at in the first season. Yeah, uh, in the last two episodes, but in particular in the the neutral zone, uh, there the Romulans were complaining about their outpost being destroyed right. and stuff like that. Same as the Federation. Uh, so they they wanted to do this big arc of the Borg being the big bad guys who show up and and kill everybody. Uh, and originally, actually, it was. They were supposed to be the insectoid race that had taken over uh, in conspiracy. Yes, or that the Borg had sent them to yes, infiltrate some sort of, or something. Yeah. And okay, so that was in the the episode Conspiracy from mm-hmm. season one. And I just did some, there's some wild shit that goes on with these insectoid per- parasites or yep. whatever. And I just, I just have to fill in this gap because it's okay. wild. <laughs> so the bugs were supposed to have been sent by the Borg. Okay. Um, but that storyline was dropped and in the beta canon which is like the books and stuff like that the deep space there's a deep space nine series where it's revealed that these these parasites are actually um related to the trill symbionts and that they are there was like this whole um plague that was wiping out the symbionts so they genetically modified some of them to be able to resist it and it ended up making them very xenophobic and violent and then they it didn't work and they ended up turning on the trill symbionts so then (laughs) this civil war breaks out between the symbionts and these insectoid parasites where they're like infiltrating hosts right (laughs) Um, to try and fight each other. And this is all going on behind the scenes. And somehow the fight for Bajor's inclusion in the Federation is part of it. Like it, it just gets so wild. That's intense, and like, yeah. it makes me want to read this, this series now. Okay. Anyway. Good to know. Uh, yeah. Well, in any case, uh, as you all know, uh, the Borg arc did not happen. No, uh, and so a different became, arc happened. Yeah. It, well, there wasn't much of an arc. It was no. really, this season was still very monster of the week kind of, uh, episodic storytelling, which, you know, is kind of fine, but it really, the show never really became an arc based show. There no, were, there were short ones here and there, two parters, what have yeah. you. Um, the Borg really is the whole seven season arc. They're the one consistent bad guy that comes up again and again, and along with lore, perhaps. It but. makes sense when you look at them because even their first appearance, you know, they're terrifying. Yeah. The Borg are just a completely different kind of... Bad. You can't reason yeah. with them. They're not... They're humanoid, but they don't, you know... Ah, they're just they're just terrifying. Yep. So much better than the Ferengi being set up as, as the big bad. I think the Borg, that was a yeah, fantastic choice. Absolutely. And the show did very well uh, ratings-wise. I uh, continued to hover around that 10 million U.S. viewer week mm-hmm. every viewer mark every week. Sorry, um, and yeah, that consistency uh, really pays off with the studio. Uh, so they basically were insured uh, a third season. Mm-hmm. Although, spoiler alert: uh, Hurley would not uh, stick around for it. So Pulaski was let go as well. Yes, Crusher was brought and back. Crusher for was brought back. That, that, we'll talk about that next next sure. episode. But uh, yeah, that's that's what's coming. Fascinating. So, Lindsay, some overall thoughts mm-hmm. on this season. It's kind of a weird one to summarize because it's a bit of a hodgepodge. Um, but Not it, as much as season one. 
No, it is. I find it more of a hodgepodge than season really? one. Really? To be honest, season one was all bad. <laughs> like there were a few small moments here and there, a few okay episodes. Nothing that I would, you know, want to go and watch just for the sake of it. I don't even look at season one most of the time. Right. Um, but here in two, there are some really, really, really great episodes um, that start to show the promise of the show. Mm-hmm. And they also really started to nail the character-based episode mm-hmm. arcs. Like, even the child, yes, it's not good. <laughs> However, it's a Troy episode. Troy yeah. had gotten nothing in the first yeah. season. She was relegated to my feelings and crying and all this stuff. Which is a lot of what she did in the in child. In the child as well. But... but at least it was an episode devoted to her and yeah. giving her something to explore. And at least, you know, she came, became the pro-choice uh, voice in that <laughs> one section when they're like, well, maybe True. we should abort it. True. You know? So um, there's... There, yes, yeah, so there are a few episodes that really rank among the the best of TNG for me, at least personally, um, and we'll we'll talk about that a little bit. Um, but yeah, for the most part, everything's just a little bit better as well. Um, the goofy episodes are a little goofier, and they're actually funnier. Um, there's there's still quite a few stinkers. Um, that's what I call the bad episodes because that's what my parents always call the bad <laughs> episodes. Um, but even those. Um, are fewer and far between and there's a few episodes many many episodes i have at least in my mind that are kind of like middling like yeah oh, okay that's that's the star trek episode I, I can watch that um you know kind of on par with like the so so not so good uh quality of the original series episodes every now and then so that's kind of how i think of it in my mind um and yeah so sorry Lindsay, i've been jabbering here any other high-level thoughts from your perspective? No. Okay, you're in agreement? Yes. This is good. Um, one major point throughout the season is that, uh, and we hinted at this, Pulaski just doesn't work for, for either of us, I don't think. Um, right up to the end, almost, she has just this antagonism towards Data that's just feels completely unfounded. Um, and, yeah, it's, it's, it's harsh, and she's very short and brusque with him mm-hmm. and just never really seems to come around. I guess at the end of uh, peak performance yeah. when she's she's she wants him to challenge the annoying yeah. uh, strategia game. Strategy. Strategy. Thank yeah. you, Lindsay. Uh, you know, she wants him to challenge him. You know, she gets on his side a little bit, but that's literally the last time we see the two of them together. Um, and it really doesn't make up for... For. everything that came before that exactly i mean you have it in here I, I find it interesting that you're like she was terrible but was she really that bad <laughs> and i'm like make up your mind aiden because she's that bad okay she well, is that bad but okay look at what she says versus what bones says to spock i mean bones is like you green-blooded blah, blah, blah. like he's sure. literally like like he's one step away from calling him like ethnic slurs and stuff like that like sure. if there if there was one for vulcans yet we are like, oh, that's just Bones being Bones. Why are we not saying, oh, that's just Pulaski being Pulaski? Because, A, we don't know Pulaski that well to begin with. She comes in with this attitude of, of superiority. So did, so did Bones. We enter the original series with them already being shipmates. And, and there's a hint of like a, a backstory there that... I suppose. Right? So yeah, Pulaski okay. comes in. She replaces the kind Dr. Crusher. And she's just flat out not respecting his pronouns, calling him the wrong name, insulting him. Yeah. And, and I think it's also important to note that um, Data is kind of innocent. Like, he's a very naive character. Yeah, he's even not even though kind of, like, aware he's being insulted no, sometimes. No, yeah. and that makes it worse. Yeah. Spock, at least, you get the sense that he could take it, and he fired back at just enough. And there, there yeah, seemed to yeah. be a mutual respect there, a begrudging respect. Yeah. But it grows over the course of even into the films to become 
a genuine sort of antagonistic friendship. Frenemies, almost. I, it's beyond that. It's better than that. Yeah. Whereas you never get that sense from Pulaski and, and Data. And there's... There's no explanation given for it. I think that's why Pulaski falls so flat with fans is that she's just, she's this negative presence who comes in with no reason. It's not even like, hey, I killed my daddy or whatever. <laughs> like, you know, and so I'm going to hate all robots. Like, there's yeah. nothing hinting at that aside from the fact that maybe she's a doctor so she deals with, you know, organic well, flesh. Yeah, and it's, it's just, it's so odd that they focus the antagonism of, they focused on channeling the antagonism of Spock and McCoy without the bene- the beneficial things of it. Because there are a few moments, like I remember at one point she uh, shares a toast with uh, Worf mm-hmm. with this poisonous tea that you know she has right. to give herself a hypospray for. And I'm like, that's a nice little moment yeah. for Dr. Pulaski. But we didn't get any of those for anybody, for any of the characters, really. Right. I mean, she was just kind of there and she you know a lot of times she was just offering advice to to picard yeah um but again troy's already in that role Riker's already in that role yeah. data's already in that and, role. and because she doesn't have any sexual tension with picard they they like purposefully shied away from that yeah in getting rid of crusher um not to say that that's the only thing that's interesting about beverly crusher but there is something to be said for that level of complexity to that relationship Mm. so having your doctor just be there to patch people up to get infected with that disease that makes her old to antagonize your second officer um like there's really nothing redeeming about her as far as i'm concerned yeah and like one of the worst episodes this season is the one where uh riker's dad shows up yeah and the fact that he and yeah have a relationship and like you already don't like this guy yeah and then you find out that you're just like, oh, well, I, the bad, I, I like the evil person who that we don't like <laughs> had a thing with the doctor. Well, I don't like the doctor. Yeah. It's really simple. Yeah, they, they, just, yeah. they didn't give her any. Um, they didn't give they her a chance. And there were no favors given no. to Dr. Pulaski. She was done no favors. And no. I don't think there was any love lost behind the scenes either. It sounds like yeah. she didn't have a very good time on set with the crew and yeah. or the cast anyway, and they didn't warm up to her as much either. And which she, has she, gotta be tough when you're coming in after a year of bonding, they yeah. that you're like replacing somebody that they cared about a lot. So Yeah, and apparently she also was not a fan of uh the special effects shots and the the computers mm. and stuff like that. She really didn't care for that. She preferred the more traditional Filming so she leaves the show at the end of the season, and um, <laughs> we're all I don't, fine with that. And she, even she, was fine with that. Everybody so. was fine with it. So, um, another thing this season, uh, and we mentioned it already, but there's some really like really good groundwork laid for future stories and for the lore of the the galaxy that we're getting at this point. Uh, so obviously the Romulans are are more involved this season. Uh, the Borg show up. The whole Guinan and Q relationship. Yeah, what do you think is going on there? I know, Lindsay. Tell us, everyone. Tell everyone your. I love the idea that, and this goes against the canon that's been established by Picard, but I'm choosing to ignore it. I love the idea that Guinan and Q um, were married at some point Mm. in the past, and that it's just antagonistic because they got divorced, and that's why they hate each other. I think something that prosaic is just would be so like Chef's kiss, perfect icing on top, cherry on top of the icing. I mean. perfect for for that level of antagonism yeah. i don't like the the route that picard took where it's like there's like an ancient grudge yeah sort of yeah montague capulet situation between yeah. these two species i think that makes it too galactic it's too uh yeah. small universe yeah syndrome yeah. type thing yeah exactly um 
Another one that that gets brought up a lot and is really kind of almost a focus of a lot of this episode, or this season's episodes is uh, Data's status as a sentient being, mm-hmm. um, and to an extent, his his ability to channel emotions and stuff like that is also really really uh, fleshed out with even Schizoid Man, which is one of my least favorite episodes. It's interesting that Data has the capacity for emotion, yeah. even if he doesn't actually express it himself as he currently exists. Which maybe one saving grace for Pulaski because she does seem to serve as the vehicle for a lot of those discussions when they come up. Not so much in Measure of a Man, which is the pinnacle of that, but, you know, elementary dear data, peak performance. There's a lot of moments where Pulaski is the one challenging data and coming to recognize or at least helping the audience recognize something about data's capacity. Um, So maybe that's her role, but that's not good enough. No. I'm not. I'm not defending Pulaski. No, that's no, true. Don't don't get me wrong. Uh, overall, I I I think it's funny that Riker's beard came in this season because I always thought it was the third season. <laughs> because the third season is the season I remember being really good, like when the show really turned a corner. Mm-hmm. I feel like maybe the beard is a little. If if it had come in, we should call it like the. Halfway, it should be the the, like the five uniform shadow. change. Uh, yes. When, that's when we when you about change your drawers. Episode, yeah. That's when yeah. no, maybe I don't. Yeah, know. Yeah, no. That, I think that's a better better assessment. Yeah. Our specialty is second contact. Still pretty important. We get all the paperwork signed, make sure we're spelling the name of the planet right, get to know all the good places to eat. So we decided to do something a little different this time with our episodes. Instead of giving a blow by blow of our favorites, our favorites, or, or even or, like yeah. we've never done a. a episode by episode breakdown but instead of that we are doing a tier list yeah you know we're jumping on a bandwagon that's been (laughs) on the internet for a while a long time yeah uh but there's such a variety there's a big diversity in terms of the quality of this season what's a tier list anyway uh Lindsay, if you're not chronically online a tier list is a way of ranking things of subjective quality through tiers uh so they give you an indication of of kind of someone's tastes um and what they're thinking about of uh, usually a fandom is kind of a, an often thing or mm-hmm. a thing that's often used for in tier lists. Yeah, you see a lot of like um, character tier lists or yeah. trope tier lists yeah. or, you know. Or in your case, episodes. Episode um, And I find, at least, they're kind of like almost like a Rorschach test for like compatibility between fans of a thing. Like, Jensar, if you've listened to this podcast for a while and you're still listening to it, you're going to agree with a lot of the things in here because all the people who are like, oh no, their taste is terrible, they've moved on and they have not mm-hmm. come back here. So, uh, chances are you're just going to agree with a lot of these ones. Um, we each did our own yes, tier we did list. Our, but we're just going to talk about the discrepancies and, and yeah, the similarities. Yeah, because it ended up being very similar. Yeah. I think I looked at Aiden's, Aiden did his first, and I, I moved around maybe 10 episodes. Yeah. So like half the episodes, but I didn't move them from like A or S tier, which is like superior. Like I think the so. Top, yeah. top tier, tier yeah. to like the bottom. There was yeah. none of that. Yeah. Um, so very few changes, I think. Yeah. So let's start with S tier. Uh, Lindsay, we both had Measure of a Man and Q-Who. Yeah, obviously. Measure of a Man, great episode. Uh, cements, one of my favorite data episodes, cements his le- legal right to exist as a sentient being within yeah. the Federation. He's yeah. not property. He is a, a person. Person. And uh, and I just love, I, mean, I love me a courtroom drama. And <laughs> it, is, it is a really good one. Yeah. And the whole, you know, the very added... Uh, appropriate points from Guinan about, you know, yeah. the, the, the status of, can you just make people This is what makes it a great sci-fi episode. You're, you're talking about timeless issues, issues and philosophy. And, yeah. And Picard's uh, defense of the uh, more progressive opinion, yep. I think is just one of those really 
stellar uh, moments of television per- period in, in yeah. my mind. And then yeah, Q-Hu, obviously the introduction of the Borg. Yeah. Amazing. And, and a good Q episode too. Like, yeah. Q, it's, at this point in the series, he's still kind of villain. He's always villainous. But his villainy gets more goofy and and more like trickster like. Yeah, the further points. on yeah. we go into the series, here is like the start of that. I think there's there's a, a definite sense of like I'm gonna put these people in danger by flinging them into Borg contact space. with the Borg yeah. before they're ready for it. Yeah. Um, but there's also this hint of playfulness to it as yeah. well. So it's really it's I, I like Q episodes for the complexity of of. Yeah what Q is. The big difference in our S tier list though is that you have not put elementary dear data in S tier and I have. You have elementary dear dear data in A tier. Yes, one below. Um, So, I mean, that's just a a fun episode. The first Sherlock Holmes holodeck adventure for Data and LaForge. Um, Interestingly, something that I think is really funny, considering this is the year that all of the Arthur Conan Doyle um, stories about Sherlock Holmes have become public domain. Well, they did. I thought they hadn't. No, this is the year that the last oh, story featuring okay. Sherlock Holmes, the last collection of stories, enters the public domain in the United States. Anyway, okay. they'd already been in the public domain in the UK. I think starting in two thousand or two thousand one or something like okay. that. They have a different, yeah, and it might be different depending on which country you're in. But in the US, they are all public domain. So if you wanted to go out and make Elementary Dear Data today, you would not have to pay the Doyle. The state. Estate, yeah. any money. At this time, when they were writing this episode, the writers of the series didn't know that. Yes. And so they just wrote them, assuming Sherlock Holmes was in public, public domain. domain. Yeah. They weren't. It, it wasn't, obviously. Um, so they had to... There were, like, long, protracted discussions between Star Trek and, like, Paramount and the Doyle estate yeah. to work out rights and payment. And I guess they still get... Well, maybe not now. I don't know, but yeah. they get uh, royalties yeah. for this episode. Up, and we don't see Sherlock Holmes come back <laughs> until the Moriarty episode, yeah, which is like season, season six, yeah. I think, or yeah. So yeah. Um, that I just think that's interesting. I love this episode because I love the backstory, but it's also just really fun to see a holodeck, yeah, and because the holodeck adventures always go wrong, yeah. And the, but this one in a really interesting way, and it, yeah. it, it focuses on Data's character, and then uh, sentience and yes. uh, the, understanding yeah. of uh, like artificial intelligences and yeah. computers. Yeah, there, there's there's a whole thing, and we'll we'll come back to this one in, in a little bit, but uh, it's a very interesting topic. Mm-hmm. So going on to the A tier, mm-hmm. um, you have more episodes than I do in A tier. I do. Uh, I have uh, Matter of Honor, yep. the Royale, and the Emissary. Yep. Uh, you have the Emissary and the Royale, but you replaced uh, a Matter of Honor with Pen Pals. Yeah, I think okay, a Matter of Honor. I moved down to I think it's B tier. Yep. Um, Pen Pals for you, you had it in B tier, so we kind of just yeah, swapped just that around. Yep. Yep. Pen Pals. I don't know why you would not like Pen Pals. It's Pen Pals is the one where oh, with uh, I'm me- mentioning okay, it for okay. our audience, I, not, not for you. I know, but I uh, okay, go on. Sarjanka, mm-hmm. Data, the friendship that he develops is another great Data episode. Data gets a lot of episodes this season. Yeah, yeah, this is the Data season. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, but I think it also serves to flesh out his capacity for feeling that is later seen in the Schizoid Man, for example, and and like earlier seen in the Schizoid. Earlier man. seen. Yeah. Yes, you're right. <laughs> but yes. Yes, Pen Pals is mid You're right. <laughs> yeah, and I guess for me, it's just it, that's the only interesting part of that episode. I don't remember anything else about it. Um, and there's not even the the like 
violating the prime directive aspect of it is just kind of glossed over a little bit. Um, but it's I, important for Data to be the one that he I, yeah no he I, goes and against thing, Picard and, and that's not and I love Data's yeah. I love the uh, Sargenko and his reactions and when she's on the bridge she's yeah. so cute and everything yeah. like like that part's great but that's not a tier quality for me it's I it needs it a little is. bit more whereas um, you know even the Royale like which both, I think a lot of people hate yeah, the Royale which yeah. I think is funny because the Royale is one of the like it's just it's such a great episode you just put it on and watch it yeah. and it's it's just entertaining it's yeah. one of those sillier kind of episodes that they 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 learned how to do but also really emotional too like there's something about uh, the, an astronaut, the astronaut being, being stranded in and, this terrible yeah 30s gangster film yeah. kind of thing um, yeah so yeah finding it's beggar's belief a little bit that Data and Riker and Worf are going to be able to figure their way out in yeah. 45 minutes but yeah. Yeah. they do they do it works out uh emissary i think we both agree just great uh yeah is such a good character yeah. and that that whole uh, exchange is anytime really Susie plaxon is on the show i'm yeah. gonna be a fan which is one of the well, reasons why i like the schizoid man okay i guess um but b tier uh you had peak performance there uh which i i had uh or not peak performance sorry uh Matter of Honor. Yep. Uh, and I think that one's just... For me, I love it because it's it's the first exposure to uh, the Klingons from another perspective mm-hmm. that we have not gotten anywhere else in Star Trek at this point. Yeah, and like, this is the episode where Riker serves on board a Klingon ship as yeah. the second officer, first yeah. officer. Yeah, first officer. And I, and I like that like, there's the role of Riker, the, the chance for Riker to really develop a, some character. And you, this is where you get the sense of finally of why peop, why he is such a good first officer mm-hmm. um, is the fact that when he goes to this other ship, he can also get them on board. Yeah. And you get him loosening up and, and having a good time and eating the gosh and, you know, doing everything there. So this is why you have it as an A tier. Yeah, yeah. I put it as B tier yeah. because I think all the Klingon episodes are bad. Yeah, you hate all of them. Yeah. So. That, that's, that, you that's, know, so you have this wonderful explanation. I'm just like Klingon. Klingon bad. bad. <laughs> um, what is the other one we both had in in B tier? Was it peak performance? Yeah. So yeah, I like that one because it's it's, it's yeah. fun. Again, it's another one you could put on and just watch it anytime. Yeah. It's it's the one with the strategy and my guy. I forget yeah. his name, but he's kind of ugly looking. And yeah. uh, again, Plays it's it's fingers, data yeah. coming to some realization about himself. But there's also the war games is the the a plot yeah. between um, Riker gets to take. Uh, the other ship, which I forget what that one mm-hmm. was named, and then the uh, um, the Enterprise, they battle and then the Ferengi show up out of nowhere. That's yeah. that's really kind of the only weak part of that episode. Is sure, the Ferengi just show up to but be it, jerks. There's, and there's a lot like, of fun stuff too, like Wesley cheating, quote unquote, <laughs> yeah. to improvising the yeah. line between improvising and cheating, yeah. and 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 the whole thing with uh, uh, this B plot of the stratagema and Data realizing that he he's maybe going to make mistakes and yep. how human that is. It's that great quote that, that Picard yeah, has. Yeah. And Commander, it is possible to commit no mistakes and still lose. That is not a weakness. That is life. And uh, you also had in B tier that I did not, which is Manhunt. Uh, right. The Luxana Troy showing up to Mac on Picard. I think it's just... A fun episode. Another one that you can just watch and enjoy. And uh, yeah, I think it's just a silly little romp that gets to show off some of the comedic yes, elements that, yeah, that's, that that's are true. at play in, in Star Trek. Yeah, I'll, I'll give it that. I, I don't enjoy the Loxana Troy. I don't enjoy the cringe that she induces right. every time she's on. <laughs> but I love, in this one, I do love that there's, you know, play around that. The, yeah. the, the other characters are like, oh, wow, you know, this is this is kind of a crazy situation. And they just ham it up and it's it works well. 
So down to C tier, the yeah. ones that we have in common are the Outrageous Akona, mm-hmm. the one where uh, Joe Piscopo teaches Data how to tell jokes. Yep. Um, Loud as a Whisper, that's the one with the sign language, correct? Yes. With the deaf, the deaf guy who the, has like three, three muses who, almost. Yeah, that express embody various, different. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, so that's a, a good, a decent Troy episode, I guess, but... Yeah. Still C tier. Yeah. Uh, we also both have Times Squared in there, which is, it has potential to be yeah. a, a good time travel episode. But, but it's, it's nothing just... like, it, maybe we're clouded because we we know about like uh, cause and effect ones. or yeah. even yesterday's Enterprise to yeah. an extent has some elements of this where it's like doubling of characters and, yeah. and timelines and stuff like that. Yeah. This one just doesn't quite reach that same height. Yeah. And we also both had Samaritan Snare. Which is uh, the pack leads, yes. and then um, stealing Jordy, right. which is like it's a silly, goofy episode. But yeah, there's the not really time, I. Yeah. I don't know why the pack leads never really seemed. There's they're evil, but like they do bad things, but they never really seem to be bad guys. <laughs> so there's really not like a the, lot of the the Wreck-It Ralph meme. Just because yeah. you're a bad guy doesn't mean you're a bad guy. So yeah. yeah, so like the stakes aren't high enough for me to care. That's fair. That's fair. Um, I had the child. And Manhunt also in here. Okay. So again, why the child? Yeah, the child is bad, and I might have, I probably should have moved it down to at least D tier. But I had it a C tier here because a it was a Troy episode, and I I don't mind the the silly plot, like a creature that goes around experiencing life through by by becoming another species. Right. Why not? That's kind of a cool little sci fi concept. Yes. And you know, having Troy go through the whole parenting process and. I just wish they could do something with her character to make her grab something out of that where at the end of the episode it really doesn't feel like she's taking anything away from it. It's it's kind of silly. Um, So yeah, that one's not my favorite. And yeah, Manhunt, again, just Troy. Not not so much for me. I put Schizoid Man in C tier as well. We just watched that one. We did. I don't know how you could rank it that high. Well, I think that, first of all, it's a data episode. So I love my data. (laughs) You do love your data Um, episodes. So I'll watch the data episodes. (laughs) Um, I do like the idea of um, Dr. Graves uh, implanting or, or transferring his consciousness to Data. And there's like that first exploration of Data emotionally, mm-hmm. you know, integrating with another. Well, he's not really, it's not really Data at all. Yeah. But Data's, Data has been Data's like, body, Data's machinery can express emotions. Yeah. And like can project emotions. Like Troy can read him. Yeah. Which is something that. You know, putting aside any of the real life, like there are no people who can really read minds. There are no literal empaths out there. But we don't know how Betazoids actually yeah. interact. But we know that Troy can't read data. But all of a sudden, she can when it's well, when he even though he's a positronic. Emotions. But it's it's not real emotion. So how did what is, is she reading? She's reading emotions. They exist in the ether, Lindsay. They're just okay, they're, that's where that's where it, it loses me a bit. Okay, but fair enough. But I do like that that it's data experiencing that and and not yeah. not having any memory of it when he comes out. So there's no yeah. real lasting impact, which is unfortunate. And I hate that episode. You don't like data being mean. I don't like data being mean. I hate the Graves or whatever the fuck his name was. That yeah. that is one of the most infuriating, annoying, sexist, terrible. He is characters in all of Star Trek and the fact that he takes over data and just makes him be that is just so infuriating to me yeah because it would have been better if Graves if it had been expressly stated that this degenerative disease that he has is what was making him act this way but that he was actually a really kind and intelligent smart person 
earlier on in his life. And then, yeah, you know, like that might have been better, I guess. Yeah, I, and I then maybe know. you could play with like, why Why did we have to get this version in data? And, or maybe it could have been an earlier version. Or right. Something. I don't yeah. know. Yeah. Anyways, yeah, it's it's bad. Sorry, one thing I forgot to mention about my IC tier, I put the oh, Dauphin yeah. in there as well because um, it's silly. It's on your D list, though, yeah. so let's move on to that. Um, we more or less agreed here. Uh, the, the Icarus, Icarus factor, factor, up the long ladder. Um, and you have up the, the long up the long ladder is if you can divorce yourself from the the can you call it racism? It's definitely prejudicial. It's anti-Irish. <laughs> it does feel like it. It does, but it feels really racist, yeah. right? I, I do enjoy that episode where they discover that they're all clones. Like I think that's a really cool little sequence when Pulaski's like, are they all clones? Clones. Mm-hmm. Clones. You know, mm-hmm. like I, I, I like that. I like the idea that this this uh society that thinks it's that it aimed for perfection is yeah. so genetically inbred that they cannot yeah. possibly continue um but everything else about it is just yeah it's just really bad like uh, the irish farmers just going off and being stuck back in the 19th century for some reason it's just fires on the <sighs> loading dock it's it's weird yeah it's just bad um, um the icarus factor i think we agreed was just you know Riker's dad is not an interesting character this is like the opposite of the Riker that I like, yeah. you know, you're getting yeah. the overly serious. Oh, my dad was mean to me. Yeah. Kind of, kind of like the Tom Paris of the next generation. Yeah. When, when that kind of becomes the defining factor in mm-hmm. a character, it's not very engaging. I yeah. find, um, and both Paris and Riker have this great jovial, get everyone to love them kind of personality. Yeah. And that's, that's when they do better. And that's why, but I do, I will say it's not always a bad thing to have, that character have some kind of a tortured relationship with their father figure or parental figure. Sure. I don't think that it, it could go the way of Tom Paris and Riker. Or it could go the way of like Ensign Kim, who seems to have a complicated relationship with yeah. his parents. Yeah. Um, or Belana Torres. Yeah. Also. Yeah. Deanna Troy also. Yeah, fair. Yeah. So, I mean, it's not that every time there's a tortured backstory, it's a bad thing, but no. this time it, it kind of yeah. is. Yeah. Um, and then I put the Dauphin on there because I just don't... It's one of the more boring Wesley episodes. It's just not not all that interesting. Whenever there's, a there's like, we're escorting a princess to go do this thing. And it's like, I don't know. It just feels very... I like the shapeshifters. Yeah, okay. but it's it's still... It's not... It's just not very interesting. It feels like a throwaway episode. I suppose. And I had Schizoid Man in my D tier. Yeah. Um, and then finally, the F tier, Lindsay. Yep. The failures par excellence. Uh, Shades, Shades of Grey and Where Silence Has Least. It has to be. Yeah. Uh, Where Silence Has Least, we just watched it uh, recently and we were like, this is... It just, it's one of those original series episodes that just doesn't no. go anywhere. It doesn't feel like... It does have potential. I think the idea I... that you could be stuck in space. I like the part where they're like trying to get out of this void and they're speeding away. They drop the beacon and then they come around to it again. Like there's some mystery they're so there. Stupid. <laughs> I know. I know. It draw. It's drawn out for far too long. Yeah. And I think there's not enough of an explanation of why that happens. And I think a better episode of Star Trek, like a season six episode of Star Trek that dealt with the same thing, would do it much more intelligently. Yeah. And would have it grounded in some kind of science. Right now, it's just this. Nagilam, who sits there and, and another god figure, yeah, who just toys with them again. And yeah. and Picard, we both agreed that um, Picard is at his best when he is outthinking. He's not charging into battle. 
um, to fight the guy. He's out thinking them, out maneuvering them. In this episode, it's kind of the worst of both because he doesn't really outthink the the creature. He just makes his ship into a bomb. Like he's going to set it to explode. And yeah, yeah, I'm just like that. It seems like a cop out. Like, again, a season six episode would have had. Well, he would have reasoned with him or found something that he could offer him. Yeah, exactly. Something, right? And then finally, Lindsay, you have the child yeah. in your F tier. Yeah. Uh, why so low? What, what in particular makes you think it's I as think, bad as a clip show? I think, well, okay. <laughs> you put it that way. Um, it's just, it's just so bad. <laughs> I just, okay. I don't like pregnancy storylines. Okay. So your prejudice it's, comes through. No, no, fine. no. That's, it's that's it's just, there is something, um, the way that that, the child grows really fast and there's something parasitic about it. And I'm like, and I like Deanna Troy. So this idea of this thing growing inside of her, first of all, that's the reason why I don't like pregnancy. I don't like the idea of something growing inside and like kicking and squirming. And so that sure I get squicked out real bad. Okay. Um, but then, you know, the, I don't like the politics of it, I guess. <laughs> okay. I that's think, fair. I think that what happens to her is, is the equivalent of an unwanted uh, uh, sexual assault, uh, like sexual assault is ever wanted. It's an unwanted pregnancy as a result of an assault. Mm-hmm. And that her reaction is, I want to keep this baby. It's just, I think the politics of it is kind of, maybe an earlier version of me would have found this different, but in a post-Roe v. Wade world, I just feel like this is a very ugly politically ugly episode that's okay. my opinion okay All right. i might be a horrible person and if you want to keep your horrible opinions private Lindsay, you should consider today's sponsor uh sued vpn <laughs> if you're like us you browse the galactic web a lot like a lot a lot like way way too much and sure, you tell yourself you're just looking for the latest news on the Paclid Menace, or maybe you're convincing yourself you're actually learning Tamarian when you're looking for cool metaphors to drop into everyday <laughs> discussion. But let's face it, most of the time you're just wasting your life away, like you and me. And if you're already wasting your life away, you really shouldn't waste too much more, like the safety of your data. Today's sponsor, SuedVPN, ensures your transmissions across <laughs> galactic subspace networks are safe from piracy and the snooping from various peoples and organizations in the galaxy. Just connect to one of our 1.2 million <laughs> servers spread across Federation and Allied system space, and your data will be safely encrypted to avoid the prying eyes of the Tal Shiar, the Obsidian Order, and probably even Section 31, although, big disclaimer, there's no promises on that last one. Those little buggers are everywhere. Use our promo code BIC75 for 75% off a nine-month subscription, and also get an additional 20% off SuitGuard, this <laughs> personal data device protection that keeps your pads safe from viruses, malware, ransomware, and all the other wares that exist out there in these trying times. SuitVPN offers the best combination of ease of use and data protection out there today. It's so good, it'll even keep your commanding officers from knowing just which erotic hollow novels you're downloading from a shady Ferengi website. Make sure to sign up today and use it to keep your information safe. Very, very interesting uh, choice for sponsorship this week, Aiden. I'm glad I put you in charge of that. Do you think that there are different servers that, like, is there a... A streaming service that if you connect to one on Franginar, it uh, oh, yeah. it gives you access to different things than if you connected it on Beta Z. Yeah, of course. And then if you go to Ryza, it's just all porn. Like they did, they literally block they block everything, everything except else the except porn. the porn. Yeah, okay, yeah, that's all right. awesome. All right, cool. Yeah, gives me ideas for future 
product sponsors. <laughs> the porn? <laughs> oh. Okay, good. We're Starfleet officers. Weird is part of the job. Uh, and something we brought up uh, earlier and in the elementary deer data uh, thing is the fact that this whole sentience idea and the fact that the computer creates, uh, what's his name, Moriarty, mm-hmm. to become sentient. That means that the computer itself, because this is a program inside the main enterprise computer, yeah. the program, the computer itself is capable of being sentient. Like, yeah. that's the only way I can look at that yeah. and, and take that away from there. So, and yet the computer isn't sentient and isn't treated as sentient and doesn't have any of the rights of a sentient creature that are established through Correct. measure of a man. Correct. So this is this is one of those things that Star Trek keeps coming back to because it's such a goldmine and I feel like it's going to be very uh, relevant here uh, in the in the, our coming future. Um, so is it is it enough to show sentience or is there uh, a capacity for sentience? Is that enough to show or to be treated as a sentient creature. Well, I think this is, we haven't watched Discovery, but this is a whole plot line of Discovery about the ship being sentient. So I think it will come back. Um, Yeah, and in fact, it's going to come right now. Bix Log, Stardate 41472.3. Recent discussions around the abilities and various rights of so-called artificial intelligence being created nowadays have prompted what proves to be a heated discussion between Chief Petty Officer Lindsay and myself. Does artificial intelligence require sentience to be considered intelligent? Do AIs, as we understand them now, deserve rights? What will happen when computer systems are given or acquire consciousness? So Lindsay, that's the one we've been circling around a kind of all episode. Yeah. It, was, it was in Measure of a Man. <clears throat> uh, we love that episode for the way it, it establishes, yes, we all know data is sentient. Yeah. How do you prove it? You can't really, but you, yeah. you know when you see it. Well, um, but but we're now, I mean, you were the one who brought up today's computer systems and today's yeah. AI uh, program, so-called. Yeah. Uh, and it's really kind of a question of, well, where where, where is that line? Where, where do we kind of feel like that's coming up and crossing? Um, and it's a, it's a really interesting question. I feel like there's, for me, and maybe again, we're not. There, there's a whole stream of philosophers to, alive today writing about mm-hmm. uh, AIs and what constitutes an AI, what constitutes uh, true intelligence versus you know the ability to create something. Like I think a lot of people nowadays, when they say when you say the word AI, they think of like those programs that create art out of mashing up yep. billions of different pictures of things to create something. Or they think of that chat GPT bot that's out mm-hmm. there now that's, you know, you can have conversations. You can also ask him to write your resume. You can, I called him him already, so I guess I've already yeah. <laughs> kind of lost his argument. But to my point, I think, you know, there's there's a series of tests that uh, people have to run before they can be considered a sentient AI. Like the Turing test is the most exa- common, famous example. Like something is only intelligent if you can't discern it from human intelligence. Um, and that's kind of the the barrier in which I think you have to to cross. And that's why I don't think we're anywhere near having to actually deal with the problems that Measure of Man de- deals with. But I think we might be there sooner than we think. Um, but for now, I don't think. I know you've you've done a bit more research on this. So my my stance, you know, what what is it that we have to look for when we're looking for intelligence i don't think we have to look very hard right now because none of these things that we are calling ais are real ais at this point but it's coming up close what do you what do you think well i, I think, need to hear what you're i think is. the the 
I think that point might be coming a lot sooner than we think. And I mean, last year there was that whole thing with the Google AI, um, the the language learning AI Lambda. Yes. That that the guy was like, I think this is a sentient thing, and he was eventually fired from Google, and there was all kinds of problems there. But but other computer scientists have been like, he might have been onto something. And um, I think the question of like you're you're assuming that that artificial intelligence is only artificial intelligence when it is sentient. And I think that yeah. that's, that's you're, you're okay. looking at it as like, if it has sentience, then it has rights, then it has personhood or something like that. Like, mm-hmm. And that's a separate thing than artificial intelligence. I think that the AI bots that exist out there, if you can have an intelligent conversation with chat GPT, if it can write your, you know, essay yeah. and, and have it if you can have it right i've seen people write lesson plans yeah. like not that they're using them but it creates legible intelligent lesson plans for a teacher who could actually teach it i mean i think that that transcends something does it go into the realm of sentience i don't know i think that you're butting up against how do i know that you're sentient i don't know that you're sentient i have to take your word for it so if a, if an artificial intelligence says yeah i think therefore i am then you know, you kind of you kind of have to take it at its word, don't you? No. Otherwise, otherwise you're <laughs> denying humanity to everybody else whose whose intelligence you don't have access to, whose mind you don't have access to, right? No. If you're if you're <laughs> no, but if you're basing it on on some kind of sentience, what is sentience? Yes, well, that's, you don't that know was, what sentience is. That's what was raised in the Measure of Man, and, exactly. And it and is we, it is a difficult <clears throat> line. I'll grant you that, but we all understand it when we see it. And that's that's the point of the Turing test is, and I think fine. it's a very good one. Is that fine. if you can if you literally can't distinguish between an AI and a human, then yeah, maybe the AI is there, but you always can. Right you, now, right yes. now, yes, there might be a point in time where you can. I'm sure, and then I'm sure, and I think we're coming up to that point sooner. But I think I I, I still have problems with your argument about sentience, and and I I really don't see how you can say no to. <laughs> you know my previous pre- proposition, but either way, I think the the f- the further question that causes people um, more alarm, and it's one thing for a computer system to um, be intelligent or to have sentience, but do we at what point do we have to give them uh, rights or uh, or treat them like like we would any other human yeah, being? Yeah, yeah, and. That's something that I don't think there's an easy answer for. Which is why I'm like... Well, sentience. I, I, like, for me, it, it, they're all combined because it is one question. I mean, and, and there might be a gray period. We might be entering some sort of gray period where we look back, you know, 100 years from now and be like, oh, wow, we treated those proto-AIs really poorly because yeah. they, they were something. But I don't know. I think it's but, but really the, hard but, to, but to there, it, base that it on also that. becomes a gray area when you start talking about animals mm-hmm. and their sentience mm-hmm. and that whole case of the that um, simian. There was a, a monkey yeah. baboon who took a picture, took a selfie, selfie, yes. And I think it was Peta who argued that in he court deserved, that yeah. he deserved the copyright credit yeah. because it's a goofy looking selfie too so you know um and they lo- they lost that case but there are arguments to be made that you know ravens have egos and are aware mm. of their own selves yeah that maybe dolphins or some uh, like other mammals maybe 
maybe there are plants that we that have sentience and we yep. just don't it's it's not on a level that we can discern yep. so why are we putting our ability to discern it at the forefront i mean we exist yep. in in our bodies so we it has to be through our minds but i mean that's that's kind of an, an anthropocentric view of sentience very true that you know i i still think that it's still a subjective experience like I don't know if you're really there. I don't know if you're a real yeah, person. Yeah, I have yeah. to trust that you are. And at some point I'm going to have to trust that my computer system is there and and can interact with me. I mean, I don't know. I just think that it's it it does make me uncomfortable to think about it though. So, <laughs> it is. And I, I do wonder if we'd be more like Bruce Maddox than Picard. In It sounds like we're arguing right now more on the the Bruce Maddox side of things than we are on the Picard side. Well, of things. Uh, I mean, I think it's it's a worthwhile test to undergo, and I think it's it's something that we will, as a society, have to work with. And I'm glad we have episodes like Measure of a Man to point to. I think that's what, you know, we're coming. You know, technology is advancing pretty quick, despite all the other terrible things that are going on in the world. Yeah. There is a lot of there's more people working in R and D across every sector of mm-hmm. the world uh, now than there ever have been. Um, and that number is just going to keep growing probably. So the the rate of scientific advancement is going to continue. And we have shows like Star Trek, you know, that can really tackle some of those, those complex philosophical problems. And, sci-fi and it, is there for. Exactly. And it's, and it's, it's crazy to think that, you know, within our lifetime, we might, we might see something where this has really become a thing. Cause Lindsay, you pointed out there was a, a court case. Um, someone was like, well, can, art created by an ai can it be copywritten and they said no and yeah the courts were like no because you need currently you need a human to create art that's like the definition i think there's also issues around some of the ai's taking intellectual property from other people to create their their art which is kind of i guess there's going to be all kinds of implications for things like fan works and um you know uh derivative content that might be problematic mm-hmm. um for human creators yep. but yeah the, so the idea that that ai art is not art in the traditional sense or that it can't be copyrighted is something that our our courts currently are working are on, working right. on and saying no that they are it's not the same thing um but I, I do think there's also an issue here with the current level of ai and probably for the foreseeable future we will not have androids we will not have human they will not look like us and i think once they do look like us it will be harder for us to deny them personhood but as long as they are just voices in our phones siri or alexa or a computer generated chatbot um or ar generated art it's going to be harder for us to look at that and say there's an intelligence there. Yeah. Even if there is, I think that's going to be the scary thing. Well, yeah. When when those because they may they may just box. acquire yeah. <laughs> sentience, they may acquire intelligence that we didn't give them, and we will not be able to identify it. We will not be able to see it because yeah. it doesn't have a human face. Yeah, I mean, and that's that's another yeah. that's a bias. That's a human bias Absolutely. that I think we're going to have to deal with. Absolutely, and I I, I just knowing certain aspects of of i because when i was younger i used to follow uh you know ai development and stuff and i i mean for a long time the ai in things was like computer games can you get your 
you're the guys you're the bad guys you're shooting at to actually hide or do they just stand in front of you and get shot right like that was like a big development in ai when that kind of stuff happened and that was only you know 20 25 years ago now but uh you know stuff like that and it's just continuing to progress at such a rate though that it's really hard to to tell when those milestones are coming um but yeah it's it'll be very upsetting if we discover that all of those ones and zeros on the screen that you've been shooting and killing all these times they're not sentient how do you know this is why i can't play first person super games (laughs) Because you don't know. That's fine. You can't tell. Yes, you can. <laughs> Their programming is very, very simple. You can go in there and look at it yourself But at some right point, now. you may not be able to. I, and then will you feel bad for all not. those little computer-generated well, yeah, pixels? If, if, if they start showing signs, then yeah, I'm going to stop killing them. It's like that episode <laughs> of Community where Abed, you know, has the wife in the in the computer <laughs> the babies, game. Yeah, yeah. There's millions of babies. That it's another community Hotham. reference in a, in an episode of uh, the Bix Pod. There was another one I was going to make earlier, and I didn't. I held mm-hmm. back for for our listeners' sake, but you know, yeah, it's a show that keeps on giving. It's called being a captain. No, it's called being a dick. So beyond the Mark Frost connection via the Equalizer, via Maurice Hurley, via to Star Trek season two, which yeah. is a, a laborious connection, uh, there was at least one actor in. Season two from Who Else Appeared in Twin Peaks? Yep. Uh, David Olander played the Ferengi, played a, an unnamed Ferengi in peak performance alongside Armin Shimmerman, yes. who came back to, he played a, a, yeah, quite a few quite a Ferengi. Few Ferengi yeah. Um, yeah. All slightly different versions of a Ferengi. He's a little bit more menacing in this in this episode. Yeah, he did it, yeah. yeah. Um, but David Olander is the uh, Tim Pinkle in Twin Peaks, yes. and he's the one who sells uh, Shelly and Bobby the... Uh, the, the wheelchair, wheelchair lift accessories yes. for Leo and Johnson then after also his... gets his nose bitten yes, by the by pine, the pine weasel. weasel. Yeah. So, so there you go. Uh, that, those are your Twin Peaks connections for, for this episode. Did you know he also played the clown in uh, the Voyager episode, The Thaw? That was him? That was him. Okay, we'll come back to that one later on because that's a freaky episode. But anyways... Um, yeah, that's that's this week's look at Star Trek yeah. uh, and a little bit of Twin Peaks, I guess. Uh, Lindsay, thank you for joining me here today. What else discussing... was I going to do? We live in the same house. Yeah, you like, can't Let's get away. record. And I'm like, okay, fine. Yeah, so here we are. Um, and thank you, listener, for joining us. Uh, Lindsay, do live your thing. Live long and prosper. One day you are going to say it with me. You can find all our episodes on Spotify, Podbean, Apple Podcasts, and iTunes, or wherever you get your podcast fix. We love to talk Star Trek with our fellow nerds, and would love to hear from you if you have thoughts or ideas about any of our discussions or the topics we've brought up. You can reach out to us on Twitter, that's at TheBixPod, or by email at TheBixPod at gmail.com. We'd love to hear from you. Beam us up, Scotty.